What is up, Reckless? How are you guys? But it's good to see all of you. I'm glad that you guys braved the, the bad weather and the rain and stuff to get here. And some of you guys have on your tacky sweaters. Um, and then some of you guys just have on your tacky normal clothes. So it's good to see all of you. Um, and I've got a question for you. So we have this awesome graphic, the Stranger Things. How many of you guys in here actually watch Stranger Things? Okay, so it's actually a big majority. I didn't know if you guys did or not. So I've never seen the show. I'm of the minority, and I apologize. We'll catch up soon. Um, but yeah, it's good to see all of you guys. It's good to see you for this tail end of the Christmas message. I am one of the interns here. My name is Austin. And tonight's actually my last night as an intern, which is kind of sad. Uh, I know. I'm super sad. But I get to go out with a bang. I get to teach on the last, last week of the Stranger Things series. So that's awesome. Um, and so last week... Uh, Todd started talking just a little bit about some Christmas traditions, and they were a little bit of like goofy, like wacky Christmas traditions. So he talked about some of the things he does in his family, some of the things that you guys might do in yours. Um, and while it is fun to kind of hear some different traditions that we might do that are kind of goofy and wacky, when I hear Christmas tradition, I don't really think along those lines. I usually think about more of a feeling that I get around Christmas time. Um, and I still get this now, but it started definitely when I was younger, right? Like around four or five when I started to know what Christmas was. Um, that's definitely when I started to feel this. And, you know, January or December 1st kicks around and you start to like feel Christmassy and then it builds up to this moment. And so for me, that, that really Christmassy moment, the cool thing that I get is um, Christmas morning, super early usually. And it's like, you know, especially when I was a little kid, I would wake up and it's Christmas and it's like five in the morning. Um, and so I would run out into the living room and nobody would be awake. Everyone's still asleep. Um, and it would be kind of cold, so I'd run back and get my blanket and like stay bundled up with it. And I would sit right in front of the fireplace. That's where we kept the gifts, was kind of on the hearth. Um, and I would sit so I could see the gifts and I could see my parents' door so that I, I would know as soon as they woke up. I would be ready to open these gifts. Um, and so that moment, that kind of, that chilly moment where I'm sitting in there and it's, it's kind of quiet and it's still, that is my favorite Christmas moment for some reason. That's the one thing that I, when I think about Christmas, it's that feeling where it's cold and it's quiet and kind of nothing's going on. And it's not that I was focusing on the gifts. It's not that I was thinking about anything else. It was just still, right? And that was my favorite thing. And so I got a little bit older. I started waking up later and I had a little sister. And so she started to do this same thing. She would wake up five in the morning, come jump on my bed. Austin, Austin, it's Christmas. Let's go. And of course it's Bella. Get out of my room. I don't want you in here right now. You need to leave. And so she would go sit out there where I used to. But then maybe a couple minutes later, I'd be like, wait, it's Christmas. Like, I'm actually excited about this. And so I'd run out there. I'd sit with her. We'd share a blanket and some, like, hot chocolate or something. Um, and so that moment, was a, that quiet, that stillness, was able to kind of join us together. Sometimes we butted heads. There was a big age difference between us. And so that quiet moment was able to kind of bring us together. And that's when I felt super Christmassy and, like, family. Like, we didn't have to talk. We didn't have to fight. We could just focus on Christmas. And so that was my favorite thing. Um, and so right now, I've been married for just over two months. My wife is over there in a penguin hat, so she looks super cute. Um, and so for us, this is our first Christmas as a married couple. Um, and so there's kind of a, and we have had Christmas before. We were dated for like three years. Um, but this is the first one where you have to like join our Christmases, which is kind of weird, and it's not something you necessarily think about. But so now we have to figure out where we're going to spend Christmas. Are we going to travel? Are we going to do it with your family? Are we going to do it with mine? Um, are we going to keep your Christmas traditions? Or are we going to go with my family's Christmas traditions? Her family um, is from New York, like short term, but then in the long term, they're Polish. And so they have some different Christmas traditions that I never knew anything about. And they're not weird. They're not wacky ones. But it's like, we're going to eat this food on Christmas Eve, and then we're going to do this. Um, so are we going to start doing that? Are we going to cook Polish food that we don't know how to cook um, just to do your Christmas traditions? Are we going to you know, do really dumb stuff like my family always does for Christmas? Like, what are we going to do? Um, and for the most part, we've decided that we're not going to do any of those things, that we're going to let your family do your family Christmas. We're going to let my family do my family Christmas. Um, and we're going to spend Christmas by ourselves at our apartment. We're going to wake up together. Um, 
and we're not going to go anywhere until later in the day. We want to still get that quiet moment. Um, but the one thing that we, we decided that we wanted to pull into our Christmas, that we wanted to take tradition-wise, is that quiet moment that I was talking about. So we're super excited about the moment where we can wake up on Christmas Day and go sit on the couch, bundled up in blankets because it's kind of cold, make some hot apple cider or something, and just sit there quiet and still and not really have to do anything else. Like We don't want to focus on the budgeting that we had to go through for Christmas presents. We don't want to focus on all the family drama that we're going to have to deal with later. We just want to focus on each other, just focus on how happy we are that it's Christmas and just everything that it is. So like, that's what Christmas means to me. And I hope that some of you guys can relate to that, that kind of quiet moment, because it's a cool thing for me. And if you can, then maybe later on in the message, it'll make sense. But we do have to get into the stranger things. So over the last three weeks, Todd has been doing a series, Stranger Things, and he's been talking about the things that are different in the Christmas story, in the nativity story, than maybe what we would expect. Maybe they're a little bit different than if we were in control, the things that we would write. Um, And these things are actually really important. Sometimes it can seem like, oh, like, so God did it differently. It's not a big deal. That's how he did it. It's in the Bible. I've heard this story since I was a baby. Um, But these differences, these strange things that happen in the Bible, and especially in the nativity story, actually give us a pretty cool insight into the heart of God. There's a lot of times that we go through where we're super confused about what God's doing. We're saying, God, I don't understand why you let this bad thing happen. God, I don't understand why I had to fail that test. Or God, I don't understand why this girl doesn't like me, this boy doesn't like me. Um, And so we're super confused. We just have no idea what's going on in God's head. Um, And for some reason, we always assume that God thinks like us. We assume he's just us, but like a little bit better, and he's in control, and we don't have those things. But in reality, we know that God isn't like us, right? He's not a human, and we're not God, so we don't think the same. We were made in his image, so we're kind of similar, but we don't think in the same way that God does. Um, And so these moments where we see these strange things happening in the Bible that don't go along with our expectations, don't go along with what we'd expect, show us a little bit about who God is, right? They show us how God loves. Maybe we are super confused about love because our only, the only love we know about is like an earthly love from our father or somebody else in our life, and they don't love us very well. And so when we hear that God loves us, it's kind of a throw-off. We're like, well, if God's like humans and God loves me and these people love me, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I feel that. Sometimes it might show us something about the way that God communicates with us, because for us, we can just send a text. Super easy for me to call you or text you or whatever, but God, we got to pray and we got to read this Bible and we got to do all these things. And to us, that might be confusing, because it's If God is like us, then why do I have to reach out in all these weird ways? But instead, God's like, I'm not like you. You have to do different things to talk to me. And so throughout the Bible, we see cool moments of how God communicates with us, how God loves us, how God interacts with us in different ways. And these strange moments, the ones that we see that are are different, those are the ones that kind of speak into that and speak into why God does what he does and why God works the way he does. So over the last three weeks, Todd has talked about some of those differences, some of those strange things. And in the first week, he talked about when Jesus was born, he was born in a manger, and how that's kind of weird. Why was the Savior of the world, the King of the Jews, this person who's the Messiah, who's going to save me, why was he born in a, in a manger? That doesn't make any sense. Why was he born in a castle? Why didn't he have people worshiping him? Why didn't any of this stuff happen? And so he kind of worked through that, and he talked through why that happened. The next week, he talked about why in the world there were shepherds at the birth of Jesus instead of anybody else, instead of kings and queens, instead of blowing trumpets, any of those things. Why were there shepherds? And then last week, he talked about Mary and why in the world Jesus, the king of the world, was born to a virgin girl, she was in her teens, who had never, as far as we know, done anything significant in her life. Like, it just doesn't make sense why the king of the world would be born to her and not to some queen or some noble or anything like that. Um, So we worked through those three things, and we started talking about kind of the heart of God and why he did this instead of this and all of that. And tonight we're going to continue that. Tonight we're actually going to talk about the star that led the wise men to Jesus. And so those wise men that you guys have heard about, the, you know, they showed up and they came from the east and they, you know, worshiped God and stuff. They actually have a really small part in the Bible. We don't ever see them again. And 
if you actually think about it, yeah, we've heard the song since we were growing up, but why in the world are there these wise men who follow a star to the birth of Jesus? Why does that happen? And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're in Matthew, and we're going to read these verses. Um, and I'm just going to read them straight, and then we'll kind of break it down. So it is a little bit of a mouthful. Don't worry, we're going to break it down. We don't have to focus on all of this. So if we can get Matthew 2 up there, it's verses 1 through 12. Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. After the interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chest, they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So, that is a bit of a mouthful, but we know the story, so it's not too difficult to think about. And so the first question we have to get to in this is, who are these wise men, right? Like, why, are, why do we care about these guys? Who are they? Are they just some special people? Or are they more shepherds? Who are they? Um, and we don't know a ton about them, but in this translation, they're called wise men. In some other translations, they're called magi. And if you actually do some research about who they were, they weren't, you know, these you know, old men that, you know, they're just wise. That wasn't all they were. Um, they were actually astrologers. So they were stargazers, basically. They would sit outside of their solarium or their temple or wherever they worked. And at night, they would look at the stars. And so these guys weren't Jewish. They weren't Christians. Obviously, Christianity wasn't around yet. Um, but they were stargazers. That's what they did. So they had prophecies, and then they would make prophecies based off of what the stars told them. So they would go outside and say, um, because of the way that, you know, this constellation is, that means that this might happen. And the way that, you know, this prophecy said that this star will move, so this is going to happen. Um, so that's what they did. They were, they were stargazers. They sat outside every day, and that, that was their job. And then we get into, you know, where are they from, and it says they're from the east. And all we really know about what the, the east is for us is that it's somewhere over in Asia. We don't know exactly where. Um, and so these are Asian stargazers, basically. So these Asian stargazers are out there looking at the stars like they always do, um, and then all of a sudden they see one particular star that they haven't seen before. And they say, oh, that's, that relates to our prophecy about the king of the Jews. It said when that star goes by, that means that the king of the Jews is here. And so even though these guys weren't Jewish, they didn't believe in our God, they didn't believe the same things that we now do or that the Jews did then, they decided to follow that star. So they follow it, they come to King Herod, and King Herod is a bad guy in the Bible, he's not a good king. Um, and they tell him about it, and he freaks out, obviously. He's like, well, I'm King Herod, and so if there's a king of the Jews, then we're going to be enemies, so I need to know where this guy is. And so although he tells the wise men, like, yeah, come back and tell me where he is when you find him, because I want to worship him too. He, he wants to kill Jesus, so he's not a good guy. Um, and then so they go to Bethlehem, and they see the star. The star goes and hovers over where Jesus is. Um, and even though these guys aren't Jewish, they don't care about the king of the Jews at all. They just had to follow it because of their prophecy. They get there, and when they see him, they realize that he's actually the Messiah, the king of the Jews, and our savior of the world. And so instead of just seeing him and saying like, oh, there's the king of the Jews, that's awesome. The Bible says that they bowed down and they worshiped him. They gave him gold. They gave him frankincense and myrrh, which are these things that you would give to a king when he was born. Um, and one of the really like 
cool moments about this is that, like I said, these guys weren't Jews. They didn't have anything to do with this. Um, but they were actually the first group of people besides Mary and Joseph and then the angels and then the shepherds that were able to recognize that Jesus was the king of the Jews and the Messiah. So he's just a baby, but they've already seen that, that this guy's important. This guy is worth worshiping. Um, and so then they leave. God gives them a dream and tells them not to go back to Herod because Herod would kill Jesus. Um, so they decide to go a different way, and they go home. And that's the end of the story as far as we know. Um, we don't ever see these wise men again. We don't get any more of their history. We don't know anything. And so that, for us, that's one of those moments where you have to go, why did God write this into the Bible? If I was writing the story, I would leave that part out. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It works on our songs, but, why, you know, why does it matter? And so this is one of those moments where I think if you start to look at it, you can see kind of God's heart in this. You can start to see, how does God talk with us? How does God announce, you know, his son being born? How does God announce it to these wise men? And so, for us, we start to look at the star. Why was it a single star that guided the way to Jesus? What did the star look like? Um, we don't really know 100% what it looks like. A lot of people think that it was kind of like a shooting star, which I guess you guys have seen those, and they're super quick and they're fast, and you know, if you look away, you're going to miss it. Um, why did God use that, something that was fleeting, instead of like a big bonfire? Why didn't God just come out and say, like, hey, wise men, my son is born here, just go there? Or why didn't he come to them in a dream? We see that he can do that later in the story when he, he took them around Herod. Um, so why was it a star? I was thinking about that, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's important about a single star? Does that actually mean anything? Is that strange because it's strange, or is that strange because God wanted to tell us something? And so I was thinking about stargazing, which is what these guys did professionally, and I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but it was one of my favorite things to do in high school, was just to go outside and look at the stars. I went to a Cobb County high school, so we really couldn't see stars much out there, um, but my friends and I would find, a, you know, abandoned field in Paulding. They have lots of them there, and we would, you know, ride out in my friend's truck, and we'd go look at the stars. Um, and just a cool moment, something that we would do, we'd lay in the bed of a truck, like, as it was driving to this field, and just, like, look up at them. And so you see the trees and stuff whizzing by, but the stars themselves just, like, stay there. And so it was a super cool moment for us. And this was another moment, kind of like Christmas morning, where we'd just be quiet, right? We didn't have to goof off. We didn't have to talk. We didn't have to do anything else. We just wanted to look at the stars. Um, and so after that, you know, we would, we would park wherever we were in that field. We'd get out our picnic blankets. We'd get our snacks and our drinks and whatever, and we would just lay out there and look at the stars. And so we're there, and you have to be quiet, right? Because if you're not, you're going to miss the shooting star. If you start talking to your friend, everybody else is like, oh, did you see that? And you look, and it's, it's gone, right? It's super quick. Um, and so that, again, like Christmas, you're going to miss it if you're not quiet, if you're not still, if you're not looking for it. The same as these stargazers, the Asian stargazers, the wise men, if they weren't looking for these signs, if they didn't go outside every night and just sit there and listen to him, or not listen to him, sorry, just look up at the, the stars to see, they would have missed the shooting star. It would have gone by, they would have missed it, they wouldn't have been able to announce the king of the Jews, and none of that story would have happened. So if we know that these differences, these strange things that happen, tell us something about God's heart and tell us something about the way that he wants to communicate with us, what does this tell us? What does it tell us that he didn't use a bonfire, but he used a single shooting star that you could miss if you weren't looking for it? If you start to think about that and start to think about kind of God communicating in a more quiet way, kind of how you have to be quiet to look at the stars and you've got to be quiet, if you start to think about that, you can think of another Bible story that happened that involved just kind of stillness and quietness. And so this story is from 1 Kings, and it's kind of long. We're not going to throw it up there. I'm going to give you the recap. But this story is about the prophet Elijah. And so Elijah was a cool guy. He was a major prophet in the Bible. He did all of these awesome things for the kingdom of God. And so Elijah, at this point in his life, is kind of on the run. He's scared. People are trying to kill him. They're going after him. Um, he's a prophet, like I said, and all the other prophets he believes are dead at this point. His enemies have killed them all, and now they're coming to kill him. And so he's on the run. He's fleeing. He's in the wilderness. And eventually he tells his servant, 
if you keep following me, you're going to die. So you go, you go away. You leave me. And so he's alone. And it's just Elijah. He's in the wilderness. And he's kind of given up, right? He's thinking about all these things. They're all bombarding him. They're all attacking him. And he decides, you know what? I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to pray to God just to kill me. And so he sits down under this tree and he prays to God, God, just kill me. I'm done. Like there's so much, I'm terrified. I'm not following your path anymore. I'm away from you. There's just too much weighing down on me. I can't hear your voice. Just take me out. And so God obviously doesn't strike him down, doesn't just kill him. Um, instead, God doesn't really answer. And so he's sitting there and he's like, well, God, if you're not going to kill me, I'm just going to lay here. I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to wander around. I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to lay here and die. I'm just going to end here. Um, and so God, kind of in a funny moment for me, actually sends his angels and feeds him for 40 days and 40 nights. So Elijah was like, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to die. And he sends his angels to, to feed him. So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and so over the course of those 40 days and 40 nights, he finally gets up. He's like, all right, well, if you're going to feed me, I'm going to keep wandering around. And so he's, he's out in the wilderness. He's wandering and he finds a cave. And he's, this, is, this cave's a good place to, to, you know, be my defense. I can hide in here. I can see out of the cave to make sure no one's attacking me. And at one point, Elijah's sitting in the cave. He's not listening to God. He's just thinking about all this stuff. He's thinking about how scared he is. He's thinking about all the stuff that are, all the stuff that's attacking him. And God actually tells him, Elijah, come out of that cave. I want to talk to you. And Elijah completely misses it. You know, he wasn't quiet enough. He wasn't still enough. He completely misses God calling him out of the cave. And so, you know, he had no idea this just happened. And then so all of a sudden, there's a wind outside of the cave. And he can see out because he's looking for people to see if they're coming after him. And there's a wind that goes on outside that isn't just like a tree blowing wind. And it's not just a tree ripping out of the ground wind. But it was a wind that the Bible says was ripping stones out of the mountain. So this cave, I imagine, is in a mountain range. And it's all this going on. He's in the side of it, kind of huddled up. And now wind is ripping stones out of the mountains. So it's kind of a big, scary moment. And at this point, you know Elijah is thinking, well, crap, this is definitely God's wrath. God is after me because... I'm not following his path because I'm not doing the things he's asked me to. And he's, I mean, he's probably about to kill me, right? This cave is going to get ripped out of the side of the mountain. Um, There's another story in the Bible in the book of Job where God literally comes down and speaks through thunder at Job. He's kind of yelling at him. Um, And so when you you think about what Elijah's thinking, he's got to be like, this is it. God's wrath. He is so mad at me. He's tearing up the mountains, whatever. Um, But in the midst of that, the wind just stops. And Elijah, you know, obviously, Thank goodness. God's not mad at me. That mad at me, at least. And the Bible says that God was not in the wind. So finally, he's, he's put that aside. The, you know, the wind didn't kill him. God wasn't in the wind. No big deal. Um, and then all of a sudden, there's this huge earthquake outside. And it's not just any earthquake. It's not just a little rumble. The ground starts splitting. There's these chasms that are, that are appearing outside of the cave. Stuff's falling into it. Um, and I imagine the cave itself is kind of shaking, and there's like dust coming down on Elijah, and he's freaking out. He's like, all right, well, the wind didn't do it, but this, this is definitely going to do it. This is God's wrath. He's furious with me. But then it stops, and the Bible says that the Lord was not in the earthquake. So again, he's, thank goodness, I'm, I'm still alive, even though everything has just gone crazy. And then all of a sudden, there's a fire. So this is a huge bonfire. It's erupting. And I was talking about how it's, it's weird that, you know, the birth of Christ was announced with the one star. This was more like the fire that you think, if we're, we're sticking with light, that would announce the birth of Jesus, right? It's this huge one. It's crazy. It's something that everybody can see. But then it goes away. And the Bible says that the Lord was not in the fire. And so at this point, Elijah is, he's not worried about it anymore. He's like, all right, well, I was worried these people were going to kill me, but now I just survived the wind, I survived the earthquake, and I survived the fire. I'm not worried about that anymore. Elijah stopped thinking about anything else, and the Bible just shows that Elijah's quiet. He's just sitting there. He's not focusing on anything. Everything has calmed down. And so in that quiet, in that stillness, the Bible says that Elijah was able to hear a low, soft whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. So he wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the whisper. And so now that Elijah could put everything else aside and he could hear what God was saying, the Lord whispered to him, Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you so scared? Why are you running from me? 
What's going on, Elijah? Why are you, what's going on in your life? And just like those wise men, if they had taken their eyes off the stars and they had you know, talked for a second or if they had focused on anything else, just like that, Elijah, if he was looking at anything else, was focusing on anything else, he would have missed the whisper. He missed it earlier when God tried to talk to him. So just like that, just like the wise men would have missed the star if they had taken their eyes off of it, Elijah would have missed it if he had been talking, if he had been focusing on anything else. And so that kind of brings us to our main points. It's that sometimes in order for us to hear God, we simply have to be quiet and focus on nothing but him. So that means we've got to put aside all of our distractions. If we're going to hear God, if we're going to hear that low, soft whisper, we just need to listen to God, right? We don't have to do all these things. If, I mean, some of us are out there looking for these big signs, right? Like, we want the pillar of fire. We want the earthquake. We want the wind. And so we're trying so hard to get those things, and God's just trying to whisper to you. He just wants to say, what are you doing? Why are you away from me? Why are you, why are you running from me? So this Christmas season... I know that there's a lot of stuff that weighs on you. I know that gifts get to you. I know that right now you guys are probably dealing with finals or midterms or whatever else is going on. Luckily, this semester will be over in like two days, so it'll be good. Um, but you've got that weighing on you. You've got all these other things weighing on you. You've got family drama that you're going to have to deal with at Christmas. You've got friend drama that you've got to deal with over the break. But I think this Christmas, the thing that God was trying to communicate to us in this story and in these other stories is that you just got to put that aside. You've got to let it be still. You've got to be quiet. And you've got to listen for his voice. A lot of us, I know, go through this thing where we kind of get away from God, and then Christmas comes up, and you're like, yes, this is my time to, to really go back to God. This is my time to go back to God's heart. And so maybe we're looking for those big miraculous signs, right? And we're, we're searching for him in all of these things. We're searching for him in the fire and in the earthquake and in the wind, and he's not there. And, and we start to get upset, and we start to do more, and we're trying to have these quiet times where we read the Bible, but instead of just like a normal quiet time. We try to read a full book of the Bible and we try to pray all these big prayers and we try to listen to all the worship music and we try to journal a ton. And God's still not there. And so we get upset. We're like, God, where's my pillar of fire? Why won't you speak to me? He's, he's just trying to whisper. You gotta stop. You gotta be still. You gotta be quiet. Several times throughout the Bible, the words be still are used. In the book of Psalms, the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. Which is super simple. It's a short verse. It says, if you're still and you know that I'm God, you're going to be okay. You know that I've got you. You know that I'm here for you. Another time, Jesus is asleep in the boat, and things are going crazy outside. The disciples stop trusting Jesus. They don't think he's got their back. They're worried about the storm. And Jesus wakes up, and he tells the waves to be still. He tells them to stop. And once that goes away, they're able to trust God again. They're able to have a good moment with him. So this Christmas, what I'm asking you to do is to be still. Stop focusing on other things and just focus on him. Just like the stargazers, just like Elijah, if you let other things impact you, if you start letting all this other stuff get in and and mess with your Christmas, you're going to miss them. You're going to miss the whisper. You're going to miss the shooting star. In your small group questions tonight, there's one that says, what's stopping you from hearing God? What's in your way? Why can't you listen to him? And that question, I feel like, gets asked a lot in our small groups, and it's one that's pretty easy to answer if you just go the churchy route and and you don't have to get too deep. But tonight I want you to legitimately think, why can't I hear God? Am I searching for him? Am I even listening? You know, am I looking at the stars? Am I talking? What am, what am I doing? Am I listening for him? But then if I am, why, why can't I hear him? Am I listening for the wrong things? Am I looking for the earthquake as opposed to the whisper? Um, am I doing something that's stopping me from hearing God? God, the Bible tells us, cannot be around sin. So it tells us in the Bible that if we're sinning, if we're in that and we're not asking for forgiveness, that we can't have a conversation with God. So maybe that's the first step to you. If you need to hear God and you can't, maybe you need to put away the sin. For some of us, we're not sinning. We just have too much. We're worried about Christmas. We're worried about grades, worried about friends, all of that. And you just need to put it on silent. Be quiet. Be still and listen to God. 
Put aside the sin that's stopping you from hearing him. Put aside the noise that's stopping you from hearing him. And just focus on his voice. Listen for the whisper. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for these students, and thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending him to be born among us and just to save us for our sins, God. Thank you for choosing to communicate with us in such a quiet and intimate way. I pray that this Christmas we're all able to put aside our distractions and all of the noise, all of the other things that come along with holidays, and just instead let us focus on you. I pray that we'll be able to focus on your voice, God, and what you're calling us to. We'll be able to listen to you. And I pray that we have the faith and the courage to listen and do what you're asking us to. I pray all these things in your name, God. Amen.